I just want to add my own thank you um, for those that were supporting us through the weekend. Um, I particularly want to say thank you to those that provided um, cakes for the young people. I um, felt it was my duty to test all the cakes <laughs> to make sure they were safe um, before giving them to the young people. And they were all fantastic, so thank you very much. Um, and I, I really want to say thank you as well to those that prayed um, for us over the weekend. I know we asked for that. Um, and honestly, we just had the, the most wonderful time um, together as a church family with the young people. Um, and there was lots of um, positive things that have come out of that weekend. So thank you, really thank you if you've prayed. Um, and thank you for those that came and volunteered to be a part of it as well. It really um, means a lot. Okay, a sermon. Let's go. Um, are you excited this morning? <laughs> are you awake? Are you excited about the news, the exciting news? Not um, the royal baby, um, but this exciting news. Yes, the day has finally arrived. Avengers Infinity War is at the cinemas. Come on. I don't feel you're there with me. Um, this is the latest instalment in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and this particular one involves all of the superheroes. Look at it, we've got Iron Man, Captain America, Thor, Star-Lord, Hulk, Mighty Mouse, no he's not in it. <laughs> there's 22 of them on that poster, 22 superheroes and there's more in the film. It's going to be absolutely epic. This time they're facing off against the mad titan Thanos and he wants to destroy half the universe. He's the biggest bad guy today and rumours are spreading as to which superheroes are going to survive the movie, which are going to meet their end, who are they going to kill off. It's very tense. Will your favourite make it to the end? Although, let's be honest, if they're popular, there's a good chance they're going to survive, isn't there? Because that's what heroes do. They survive for the sake of the mission, don't they? They keep fighting to the bitter end. They use every last bit of energy to win over overwhelming odds and they never give up. Sure, they suffer losses and heartache and often they're brought to their knees, but just when all hope is gone, they somehow pull through. They rise to the occasion and save the day. And that's why I love superheroes. They're all about bringing hope to the hopeless. They're about being a light in the darkness. They're about fighting for what's noble and true. You know, and they have really cool superpowers as well. Um, but today I'm not going to talk to you about Avengers Infinity War as much as I would like to. I think that might be the end of my career. Um, I'm going to talk to you about another superhero of mine. Um, this particular hero didn't make it into Avengers Infinity War. At least I assume he didn't. I haven't actually seen the film yet. No spoilers, please, if you have seen it. Um, but that hero is Saul of Tarsus, or to use his other name, it's the Apostle Paul, because all superheroes have two names, right? He doesn't have a cape, he doesn't fly, but he does have an amazing superpower. He was unstoppable. There's a little poster I've had made. Um, no, not really, I just found it on the internet. True Grit Paul. You might think some of your heroes have had a rough ride, but compared to Paul, Believe me, they have gotten off lightly. This is a man who fought to the bitter end, who beat the odds, who championed when all hope was gone. But I'll come back to that in due course. First, 
let me tell you about Paul's mission. Because every superhero needs a mission, right? A goal. Most of the time that involves saving humanity from something that's set to destroy the world and Paul is no different. His mission was all about saving the world. So, if you've got your Bibles with you, if you could open to Philippians for me. Um, You can count 50 from the front or 16 from the back. Or you can use your index and go straight there. Um, And this is the fourth week on our series in Philippians. We're still in chapter 1, but we are getting through it. Um, Feel free to catch up online if you've missed any. All of our talks are up there for you. As I've said previously, Philippians is a little bit complex because although now it's a book in our Bibles, previously it was originally it was a a letter. It was a letter written by Paul to the believers in Philippi. Paul is writing this letter with a number of different objectives. He's writing it for a number of different reasons. He wants to um, encourage the church. He wants to encourage the believers Um, And he wants to thank them for their financial and their spiritual support of him. And he also wants to remind them of their partnership, that they're in this together. Um, And he also wants them to know how things are going with the mission. And this is the bit that we're interested in today, his mission. Now, if you're using um, the NIV translation, um, you will probably have a heading in between verse 11 and 12 of chapter 1. And it's probably something along the lines of this. Paul's chains advance the gospel. And that was a a title that was added at a later date. Paul didn't write that. It would have been a weird letter if he'd used subheadings. Um, But it's a helpful summary for us, for the verses that we're going to be looking at today. Because Paul is talking here about his mission, which was to advance the gospel. And he's also talking about his current whereabouts, about how it's going for him, which is in chains, both literally and figuratively. Now, if you've missed the previous few weeks, let me just catch you up really quickly. Paul has been arrested. He is waiting trial under the Roman Emperor Nero. And while he's awaiting trial, he's allowed to live on his own accommodation, his own rented accommodation in Rome. But he's chained to a Roman soldier 24 hours a day. The guards would rotate every six hours or so, but Paul is never free. He's always attached to someone. And for Paul, this is bad news. This is bad news for two reasons. Firstly, Paul, very much like superheroes, was used to travelling around the world. At this point, he had completed three missions. Each time he travelled a little bit further, he'd done a little bit more to advance the gospel. If I put up this complicated map, you can see all of the different places that we know about that he visited. All of the black dots there are how far he travelled in his lifetime. That we have recorded in our Bible, there's a good chance he um, went to other places as well. And every place he went, he took the gospel with him. The gospel is what he used to save people. The other reason this was bad news is that there was a very good chance that Paul wasn't going to get out of this one alive. There was a good chance, a very real possibility, that he may be executed. So at first glance, this mission of advancing the gospel appears to be in jeopardy. If you're unsure what the gospel is, um, let me just clarify that before I move on. Essentially, 
The gospel is the good news about Jesus, about who he was and about what he did for humanity. Jesus is the Son of God. He stepped out of heaven with the express intention of rescuing us from sin and death. And he did this by living a perfect, sinless life, which nobody else has managed to do. And then at the appointed time, he offered himself as an atoning sacrifice for our sin. That means he died in our place. After which he rose again, demonstrating his victory over sin and death. And so now anyone, me or you or anyone who puts their faith in Jesus, will be saved. And we'll get to live forever in God's presence, which is awesome. And that essentially is the gospel. That's the good news. And Paul's concern was that not everybody knew this. Not everybody knew what Jesus had done. Jesus' final instruction to his disciples was, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. That's what it says in Mark. Tell everyone. God wants all people to know. Peter later wrote in one of his letters, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And so Paul saw it as his life's mission to tell everybody about the saving work of Jesus. Everyone. But now he's stuck in Rome. He's under guard. He's in one place. He can no longer move around. So this is what he writes to the Philippians in verse 12. He says, Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it's become clear throughout the whole palace garden to everyone that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Paul's report on his situation is essentially this. Even though I'm stuck in Rome, even though I'm chained to this dude for 24 hours a day, the mission is still on. Guys, it's still happening. I haven't lost my power. There is still hope here. And this is why I think Paul is a hero. Because if anybody, anybody in the whole of history had the right to give up, to give in, to wallow in self-pity, it was Paul. Okay, let me, oh my goodness, let me list this off for you. This is Paul's own words from 2 Corinthians 11. He says, five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. So that's like a, a, a flogging. The, the Roman soldiers believed 40 lashes was enough to kill someone. So if you were still alive after 40, they put you to death. Um, so they did 39 just, you know, to be nice. Um, five times he went through that. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a day and a night in open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I assume you would need to be constantly on the move if you were lost at sea. You'd sink. Um, I've been in danger from rivers. You had a tricky relationship with water. Um, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, in danger from false believers. He's been in danger a lot. I have laboured and toiled and often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and often gone without food. I have been cold and I have been naked. And this isn't even the full list 
This is just a few times that Paul mentions here in Corinthians. He's been through many other hardships as well. For example, we know this isn't the first time Paul has been in prison. If you remember back to earlier weeks, we talked about how he was thrown in jail when he was first in Philippi. He had every single right to complain about his hardships, to wallow in self-pity, but he doesn't. He doesn't. This is what Paul says about his hardships. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. It's nothing. These hardships, when compared to eternity, they're light and and momentary. Gone in a flash, forgotten in an instant. On another occasion he says, I consider my life worth nothing to me My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. The task of testifying the good news of God's grace. As long as I am getting to advance the gospel, as long as I get to keep telling people about Jesus and about God's grace to us, I'm content. Bring it on. He was truly unstoppable. So coming back to Philippians 1 then, he says it's become clear through the whole palace guard that everyone to everyone else, that I'm in chains for Christ. You know, the first mistake they made was chaining someone to him. (laughs) Because at least when he was out on the street, people could choose to ignore him, right? They could just walk on by. But that poor guy that had to be chained to Paul. (laughs) You can imagine it, can't you? Changing of the guard time. Hi, how's it going? What's your name? How long have we got together? Six hours, brilliant. Let me start at the beginning. (laughs) So there's this town, (laughs) Bethlehem, and good grief. If those guards didn't finish that shift saved, there'd be no hope for them. (laughs) The second thing he says is that because he's been locked up, most of the brothers and sisters have actually become more confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. His example has served to encourage others. But like Paul must be really sure of what he believes. If he's prepared to go to jail and keep talking about it, Guys, he must, be, he must be, let's not miss out. Let's get involved in advancing the gospel. Let's join him with this. And also, he's not giving up in face of overwhelming difficulties, I think provides us with an incredible example to follow ourselves. You know, life is often difficult. Life is often unfair, incredibly unfair. You know, we might not have been whipped 195 times, beaten with rods or shipwrecked, but we have our own challenges. We have our own struggles, our own difficulties. And we also have a choice as to how we deal with those circumstances. We can choose the route of self-pity. Why? Why me, Lord? Why must I suffer this endless torment? It's always me. It's not fair. Or we can say, God... I want to continue to serve you, even though times are tough right now. I want to trust you, even though I can't see a way out of this situation. I want to hold on to you above all else, above my circumstances. And we can look for the opportunities as well that God might be giving us in the midst of our trouble and our difficulty. Does anyone know what... Well, that is. It does look a bit like a dung beetle. It is a beetle, so I'll give you points for that. Um, it's a boll weevil. 
a boll weevil. It's a type of beetle that feeds on cotton buds and flowers. Kind of cute, right? No. <laughs> Um, it's native to central Mexico, but in the late 19th century, it migrated to the United States. And it appeared in Alabama in 1915, and by 1918, farmers were losing entire cotton crops to this beetle. It was an absolute disaster. Not that particular one. There were, like, lots of them together. Um, and yet, if you, go <laughs> if you go to Enterprise, which is a town in Alabama, you'll find this statue... It's the world's first monument that's built to honour an agricultural pest. Why? There's an inscription on the statue that says this. In profound appreciation of the boll weevil and what it has done as the herald of prosperity, this monument is erected by the citizens of Enterprise, Alabama. And you see, when the boll weevil came and ate all of the crops, all of the cotton, the farmers decided to plant peanuts instead. And it brought them great success beyond what they had experienced as cotton farmers. They learnt to diversify. And they never would have done had the disaster of the boll weevil not arrived. You see, when Paul was in prison, he couldn't travel the world anymore. He couldn't go out on mission anymore. But he did write Philippians. He also wrote Ephesians and Colossians and Philemon, all of which are in our Bible and all of which have been read by billions of people around the entire world. If we spend all of our time despising our circumstances, we may miss an opportunity that God has placed before us to do something great. And I was thinking about this um, this week and I was thinking actually... A lot of our lives are very similar to Paul's life at this particular point. We're not chained to soldiers, necessarily, um, but we are in one place, often with the same people before us, day in, day out, whether that's work, an office, whether that's college, an education, whether that's at home, with family, I wonder what opportunities we have right before us. Hmm. I was challenging um, the young people at the weekend, trying to challenge the young people at the weekend, um, and I was saying to them, guys, you know, you're keepers of the truth. You know things that other people don't know. You know that God loves you. You know what Jesus has done for you. You know how a life can be saved and rescued by knowing Jesus. And you're surrounded by people day in, day out that don't know that. That don't know that information, that need to know that information. Maybe God has put someone in your life because he wants you to be the one that tells them about it. There's always an opportunity to advance the gospel. Paul continues in verse 15. It's true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I'm put here for the defence of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not necessarily, um, not sincerely, sorry, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. Because of this, I Rejoice. 
So by the time Paul is thrown into jail here, he's become quite famous. He's a, he's a prominent leader in this new Jesus movement. And there were others as well that were taking seriously the mission of advancing the gospel, speaking boldly and doing so out of a desire to see people saved, just like Paul. But it seems that there were others as well who were more interested in becoming the new Paul. They wanted to build up for themselves a, a reputation. They wanted to make a name for themselves. They were pleased that Paul was in prison because they were like, yes, this is our time to shine now. We'll show him how great we can be. And Paul's response is brilliant. He says, as long as they're preaching Jesus and not themselves, I'm happy. I'm happy. The mission is being achieved. The gospel is being advanced. Bring it on. Because you see, Paul wasn't precious about his ministry. He wasn't interested in fame or recognition. He wanted one thing and one thing only, to make Jesus known. Two of the great British evangelists were John Wesley and George Whitfield. I'll put some photos up for you. This is how all the um, cool people posed back in the day. Just a, a hand on the chest. Like that. They were both amazing preachers. They both saw many, many people come to faith, thousands and thousands of people saved by Jesus. But they disagreed on certain doctrinal matters. And on one occasion, a reporter, no doubt looking to stir up trouble, cause a bit of a scandal they could write about, he approached Wesley. Wesley's on the, that size, left for you. He approached Wesley and he said to him, um, if he asked him if he expected to see George Whitfield in heaven. And Wesley replied, no, I don't. And the reporter gets all excited. He says, so you don't think that Whitfield's a converted man? And Wesley replies, of course, he's a converted man. I don't expect to see him in heaven because he will be so close to the throne and I will be so far away that I will not be able to see him. And the reporter went away sad. There's an amazing response from Wesley, isn't it? Not a hint of jealousy or envy. His successes were Whitfield's and Wesley's were his. As long as the gospel is being preached, I'm happy. On another occasion, Paul is speaking about himself and a fellow worker, a guy called Apollos. And he writes this, he says, What after all is Apollos and what is Paul? We're only servants through whom you came to believe as the Lord assigned each task. I planted a seed, Apollos watered it, but God's been making it grow. So neither the one who plants or the one who waters is anything. Only God who makes things grow. You see, Paul's confidence was not in the people. His confidence was not even in himself. His confidence was in the power of the gospel. His confidence was in the message itself. Even if our heart is in the wrong place, even if our motives are impure, as long as we are telling people the truth about Jesus, God is at work. Now, I don't know about you, but I breathe a, a sigh of relief when I read that because it's a big part of my job to talk about people about Jesus. Are my motives always pure? No, of course not. I'm human. Is my heart always in the right place? No, <laughs> I'm a sinner. But also I'm not so important that I can get in the way of God's work in your life through his word. 
What matters is that I am faithful in delivering it to you. In the same way, I want you to be encouraged anytime you're a witness to Jesus, anytime you speak up for God, even if you don't quite have the right words, even if you don't feel you've quite said enough, even if you're not sure you've said too much, or on reflection you've thought that the answer you've given to a question was a bit inadequate, as long as you've spoken the truth about Jesus, you're advancing the gospel. The power is in the message. On another occasion, one of my favourite verses actually in the whole Bible, Paul refers to himself as a jar of clay, just a vessel. He says that we can see that the all-surpassing power is from God, not from him. It's just our job to take the message out. And he knows it. So he says, because of this I rejoice. I rejoice. And he continues in verse 18, Yes, I will continue to rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and I hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage that now as always Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For me, to live is Christ. To die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labour for me, Yet what shall I choose? I I don't know. I am torn between the two. I I desire to depart to be with Christ, which is better by far, but it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and join the faith. So that through my being with you, again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. These are the last few verses I want to share with you this morning and in them, Paul reveals his heart, he reveals his true power, he shows us the reason why he's unstoppable. You see, Paul isn't caught between a rock and a hard place, he's caught between an awesome opportunity and a glorious future. It's only hard for him because both options are so wonderful. That's why he's conflicted. Remember, please, this is a man who is currently in chains awaiting potential execution. And the way he sees it is this. On the one hand, I could stay. I could be released from prison, which would be great because in his words, it would mean fruitful labour, more opportunity to advance the gospel, more opportunity to tell people about Jesus. Yet on the other hand, I could be executed, which means I get to be with my Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ, which is better by far, so much better. I don't know what's on your bucket list, or if you have a bucket list, climb Everest, learn to play the oboe, meet Noel Edmonds, I don't know. <laughs> it's your list, it's not mine. Um, Paul's bucket list was so short it couldn't even be called a bucket list. It was a bucket item. A bucket item. Tell more people about Jesus. That's it. And he was prepared to do that as long as he kept on living as long as there was breath in his lungs. He was not afraid of death. He was ready to be with Jesus. We know the kind of journey he's had up to this point. But like a true hero, he was ready to keep on trying to save people while he could. As I was reading um, Paul's words this week, I was reminded of a story um, that Rick Warren shares about his father's dying words. And I know I've shared it before, but I want to finish with this story today. Rick Warren's father was a minister 
um, for over 50 years, serving mostly in small and rural churches. And Rick describes him as a simple preacher, <clears throat> but a man with a mission, like Paul. His favourite activity was taking teams of volunteers overseas to build church buildings for small congregations. In his lifetime, he built over 150 churches around the world. Wow. He says that during the last week of his life, he never talked about the books he'd read, the movies he'd seen, or the war he'd been in. Instead, he dreamed aloud about building churches, reliving one building project after another. And then he writes this. The night before my father died, my wife... My niece and I were in his bedroom by his side. Dad suddenly became very agitated and tried to get out of bed. Of course, he was too weak to get up, so Kay insisted that he lay back down, but he kept persisting, trying to get out of bed. Finally, Kay, in exasperation, said, Jimmy, you cannot get up. You're dying. We will get you whatever you need. What are you trying to do? My dad replied, I've got to save one more for Jesus. I've got to save one more for Jesus, one more for Jesus, one more for Jesus. He began to repeat that phrase over and over and over. It's no exaggeration to say that during the next hour, he repeated the phrase probably a hundred times. Got to save one more for Jesus. Rick said that as he sat by his father's bed with tears flowing down his cheeks, he bowed his head and thanked God for the legacy of his father's compassionate faith. And then he adds, while his head was bowed, his dad reached out and placed his frail hand on his head and said, as if commissioning me with a sacred calling, reach one more for Jesus. Reach one more for Jesus. It was a holy moment and I knew what I was supposed to do with the rest of my life, regardless of problems, illnesses, conflicts, critics, attacks, delays, difficulties or any other barriers. One more for Jesus. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. I wonder if we can say that about ourselves this morning. Regardless of problems, illnesses, conflicts, critics, attacks, delays, difficulties, or any other barriers that we may be facing this morning, can we save one more for Jesus?